and you alone are are worthy whether whether we declare it or not whether we sing about it or not you are holy and you are worthy and jesus it's your name that is above all names it's at your name that every tongue will confess and every every knee will bow jesus it's your name and your name alone that heals the sick it's your name and your name alone that um, that that frees the captive it is your name and your name alone that brings hope to the hopeless and it's your name and your name alone that provides salvation and forgiveness of sin. So Father, let it be your name and your name alone, Jesus, that that we look at in your word, may it be your name and your name alone, Jesus, that we leave out of here today with, with that's on our lips and our tongue and our hearts and our mind. So Jesus, as we look to the word would you uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to embrace and minds to critically process what it is that you want to say to us today we pray these things in your name jesus amen amen well we are uh, in our series on the book of philippians uh, called true confidence, and, and and we say every week, hey, there's lots of things that that we can put our confidence in in this world, um, but only Jesus is, will give us real confidence, true confidence that will last. And and the reason why is this is because uh, self confidence, okay, has to deal with our performance, okay. Self self confidence is about Self. It's about uh, what we as individuals can accomplish, how we perform, what we win at. But it's all about self. And, and so true confidence uh, is, is real confidence is based on Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished for us. Self-accomplishment is about our performance, but true confidence that Jesus provides is in his performance. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we get credit for everything that he did. We get, cre- we get credit for his obedience. We get the blessing of his obedience. He gets the curse of our disobedience, okay? So that, when we place our identity in who we are in Jesus and our personal relationship with him through faith, we can have real, lasting, true confidence. Now, uh, to get us kind of going the direction that we're gonna go this morning, I, I, I want you to think about somebody that you would, that you consider successful in your mind, okay? Kind of picture somebody that you would consider a success. And, and, and what is it about that person that makes them a success in your eyes? I mean, is it, uh, is it their... Um, their power that they have, you know, maybe it's a position that they hold at work. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's a title that they have. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, uh, it, it's an income level. Maybe it's their strength or their beauty or their youth. Maybe it's the fact that they're playing in the Super Bowl today. And if that's not enough, maybe it's the fact that they're playing in the Super Bowl and dating a pop star. Uh, I don't know what deems success in your eyes. And whatever that is for us, that goes a long way in determining what will satisfy us. 
uh, what will truly satisfy us and determine success for us. And so if it is wealth, if it is an income level, then we'll only feel successful when we reach a certain level. If it's a position or a title, we'll only feel successful if we can accomplish that. So, so what really is success? And maybe a different question maybe we need to ask this morning because we're in church um, is what is success in God's eyes? What does success look like for you and I in God's eyes? And then today in Philippians, Paul writes about two people. He lifts up two people that were very successful in God's eyes. And one of them is his name, Timothy, and the other one is Epaphrodites. And Paul writes about this, and, and we see four things that make us a success in God's eyes. And, and these four things, I, I just want to, I hope you'll write them down, because you can use today's talk, you can use today's sermon, and you can apply it to any arena in your life. You can take this to any office that you work in, and you can just talk about one of these a week in your staff meeting. You can take this to any classroom. You can take this to any ball team that, uh, that you coach. You can take this anywhere and, and just you know, kind of craft it, make it yours, make it fit your culture, your office, your work, your friend group, your home. We could talk about this in our homes. Okay, that would be great, just kind of one a week for the next four weeks. But four things that make us successful in God's eyes. Let me give them to you up front and then we'll, uh, we'll unpack them as we go along. But compassion, character, uh, and the third one should be collaboration. Not, uh, we, we changed that yesterday. That was a last minute uh, thought, but uh, I bet you Steve gets that down before we can move on to the next slide. But it's compassion, character, collab- collaboration, and commitment. So compassion, character, collaboration, and commitment are the four things that we can rally around, that we can come around, that make us a success. Oh, there we go. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about Steve, our tech team. I wouldn't have been able to do that. I couldn't even figure out how to turn on the lights on the stairs on the, before the service started. I'd go get Thomas to, to do that for us. I couldn't find the plug, so I definitely couldn't change that. So, but compassion, character, collaboration, and commitment are the four things that we're gonna unpack today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter two this morning. Philippians chapter two, as Paul talks to us about what it is that makes us a success in God's eyes, and we'll unpack these. So number one is compassion. And compassion is putting people before ourselves. That compassion is putting people before ourselves. Let's look at what Paul has to say in uh, verse 19 of chapter two. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. So, Compassion is putting people before ourselves. Now, success ultimately is defined in the greatest commandment. Jesus has asked, um, say, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What, what's the one thing that I need to make sure that I'm doing if I don't do anything else? And Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And so everybody's writing that down, and they're about to close their notebooks, you know, and then, and then Jesus says, and... 
In other words, not so fast and just as important, uh, tethered to that, not only love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So love those around you, love those that you come in contact with. And so Jesus says success is loving God and loving people. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that you and I, we can be successful in every arena in life. But if we don't know how to love others, if we don't know what love is like, then we have, in a sense, failed. See, our problem is um, as as driven, we are driven people and we are driven to be a people of significance. In other words, we want people to think that we're something. We want people to think that we're important. We want people to think that you know, we're successful, that we're significant people. And, and, and we, we grow up determining success by, you know, the grades that we get. Okay. And, uh, and, and I'm not here saying that good grades aren't important. Okay. I spent my whole childhood trying to convince my parents that they weren't. Okay. Um, there was more, there's more to me than my grades, mom. There's more to me than my grades. And, but, uh, but there are, there are uh, good grades are important, but if that's the only source of our identity, if that's the only source of our success, well, there's always going to be somebody smarter. There's always going to be that chance that we might, God forbid, get a 98 on a quiz instead of a hundred. So we grow up thinking, you know, measuring our success in terms of grades. We grow up measuring our success in terms of, of achievements in sports, Right. And, uh, and maybe we've kind of outgrown that, but now as parents, uh, we grow up, uh, or we, we measure our success in terms of our kids' achievements in sports, right? I mean, let's just be real honest. I mean, it, it, it's real hard to, to, to not, to, it's real hard to separate ourselves from our kids' performance because sometimes we take that as a reflection of us, and it's not. It's not a reflection of them, and it's not a reflection of us, Okay. But sometimes we take on our identity or our success in you know, determining how well our kids perform on the baseball field or the soccer field or the pitch, I guess is what it's called, or on the basketball court. I mean, I'm learning this lesson as I coach a third grade basketball team that my success is not caught up into their achievement. We are four and one, I just want to say, but... <laughs> But that's not where my identity is. And my one loss was by one point. And we get to avenge that in two weeks. But anyway, I mean, that's not where my, that's not where my identity is, okay? Uh, so in uh, two weeks, come out to the late church on a Saturday at seven o'clock. Uh, uh, but anyway, so, or, or sometimes we, we determine our success based on, you know, the numbers on our paycheck or promotions at work. And as a result, we hold up the wrong, the wrong scorecard, the wrong examples of success. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important, okay? They, they do have their place, but they cannot be our lone source of identity, our lone source of success, because it's, it, it's difficult to measure success in terms of people. It's difficult to measure our success in terms of putting others first. It's difficult to measure our success in terms of relationships. But successful people are compassionate and they put people first. Now, now here at Gospel City Church, I mean, 
we count everything, okay? We, we know how many babies are being rocked right now. We, we'll count how many fifth and sixth graders are in Club 5-6. We'll count how many, how many uh, quesadillas we serve on quesadilla Wednesday. And, and we count everything because numbers are important because they help us make decisions. But they don't determine success for us. And we say that all the time in our staff meetings. That success is not determined by numbers, but it's determined by what God is doing relationally. And so numbers just tell us, hey, we need to add another class. We need to add more teachers. That's coming by the end of the the talk today. I just wanted to set you up for that. Um, but, But numbers tell us how to make decisions. It doesn't determine success. What success for us as a church is what is God doing in the hearts and lives of the people that come? And that's how we, and we, stand, we, we spend time talking about stories of how God is moving in people's hearts and in their lives. So, so success in God's eyes is being compassionate and compassion is putting people before ourselves. Second is character. That character is putting consistency before conformity. Look at verses 22 and 23. Paul writes, but you know that Timothy has proven himself Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And so character is putting consistency before conformity. Paul writes that Timothy's character, he's proved himself. That that Timothy's character has been tested and proven genuine. Now, proven character means consistency over time. That proven character means consistency over time. Now, the difficult thing is, is that life keeps coming at us day after day after day. And there's a lot of things that you and I are called upon to do that really aren't very exciting, right? And maybe there's some things at your job that they're just kind of boring. They're just kind of seem mundane. They're, they don't seem that important. Or, or, or maybe at home you've gotten into that routine of, you know, waking up early and getting the kid, kids ready for school, getting them off to school, going to work, picking them up from school, you know, getting them home, getting them to ball practice, doing dinner, getting them bathed, putting them to bed, and then repeat the next day. And repeat the next day. And it's just gotten to be this boring routine. Or maybe school has just been such a grind lately. And no matter where you're at in your arena of life, you're just so tempted. You just want to kind of check out for the weekend or for a spring break and go off the rails and do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it with. I'm not saying that, you know, a weekend away from mom and dad wouldn't be great. That would be great. And we need that. And we need time by ourselves. And we need vacations and downtime. But to go off the rails and check our everything out when we, when we go into that weekend, that, 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 would be, that would prove inconsistent with our character. But the real test of character is not found in the extraordinary challenges of life. The real test of character is found in the ordinary, routine, boring parts of life. And are you and I, the question I have, are you and I, are we becoming extraordinary people of the ordinary? Are we becoming extraordinary people of the ordinary? Are we being faithful in the day-to-day things? Are we being faithful in the little things? 
Man, as an employee, I mean, are you being extraordinary in the boring, ordinary things of life? I know they're just TPS reports, but are we doing excellent in them? I know it's just customer service and you just keep providing the same customer service and it's, and it's boring and it's, and it's mundane but, and it's ordinary, but are, you, are we extraordinary in it? When we walk into the classroom, students, are we, are we being extraordinary in the ordinary routine of school? Moms, dads, are we being extraordinary in the ordinary routine of a bedtime routine? Are we being consistent over time? Because proven character means consistency over time. Let me just say one more thing before we move on to the next one is that proven character means that our private life is consistent with our public image, even when no one is looking. Let me say that one more time. Proven character means that our private life is consistent with our public image, even when no one is looking. It it, it means, guys, that what we look at on the internet privately is, would be the same as if we're on our computers in the middle of the living room with all of our family around. Are we consistent? It, it, it means that you know, all of us know, we can think of someone who, who, whose public image got bigger than their private life and as a result, their life has just collapsed morally because they weren't consistent in their private moments and their public stage became way bigger than their private, private time, their private stage. And so character is being consistent over time and being ordinary people of the ordinary. That's character. Third is collaboration. And collaboration is putting cooperation before competition. Look at verses 24 and 25. It says, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come, will, will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now, collaboration is putting cooperation before competition. Now, here's the deal. We grew up with competition, right? I mean, some of us, we, we love to compete, that winning is not the most important thing, it's the only thing, right? That, that uh, winning uh, is, is not a matter of life or death, it's much more important than that, right? That some of us take on the attitude, no matter, no matter what it is, okay? You could be playing a game of Uno, okay? And if you're not cheating, you're not playing hard enough, right? Anybody ever play Uno with somebody like that? They gotta win at all costs, okay? A couple of us, right? Some people I know, you're, you're just afraid to admit it, okay? Uh, but Uno has come up with a game for you guys, okay? It's called Uno, Show Them No Mercy, okay? It's brutal, ruthless, and unapologetic. This is what this game is, okay? Right? So, I mean, Uno, I mean, forget the draw two cards. They have draw six, okay? Draw four. They don't have a skip card. They have a skip everyone card, Okay, uh, they have a discard everything card. Uh, they have a draw ten card. Okay, so and you can stack a draw ten on top of a draw ten, which means that person has to draw 
20, yeah, okay, so it's cutthroat. And uh, you know, for those people who have to win at all costs, okay, that's uno, show them no mercy. But uh, now I'm not saying competition is wrong, okay? Uh, I mean, I like to compete and we will revenge that loss here in a couple of weeks, but, but competition, when comp- I'm, I'm saying that competition does become an issue when we have to win at all costs and we put ourselves first every time. God says success is, is putting cooperation before competition. You see, Paul was a superstar. He, he, he was a superstar, but he still needed Epaphroditus. It was like Michael Jordan needed Scottie Pippen, right? You know, Kobe needed Shaq, needed Powell. You know, uh, Luca, who knows what Luca needs at this point? <laughs> needs somebody to help uh, get the Mavericks up there. Um, but uh, Paul was a superstar, but, but Epaphroditus is described as a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. Now, as followers of Christ, we need people around us that are like brothers and sisters, they're like family, who know us well enough to know when we need help, who know us well enough that can speak hard truths into our lives. And as Christ followers, we need people who will partner with us in our mission, our mission at work, our mission at school, our mission for our, our lives, but also our mission to take the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our offices, to our ball teams. We need people around us who will be like fellow soldiers, who will fight for us in prayer, and they'll pray for our singleness, they'll pray for our marriages, they'll pray for our children, and they'll pray for our personal battles that we deal with each and every day. And are there some people in your life that you would consider a brother, a sister, a a, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier in life with you? Are there people that you're that way for? Because I know my, my, my success is so tied into the people that are around me. Not only my success in, in, in my profession, but also my success in my personal life. My success as a husband, my success as a father is tied into the people that are around me, that know me, that speak into me, that pray for me, that fight for me. And so there is a tremendous power in unity when people come together, not, not only in your office, not only on, you, you, those of you who coach, you know the tremendous power that comes to with unity when all your players are on the same page, but there's tremendous power when, in unity when people come together as a family, as a family we come together, as coworkers, as soldiers, as, as, as a church, and when we do, incredible things happen. And last is Commitment. And commitment is putting the cause of Christ before comfort. Look, look, look how Paul finishes this section, verse 25. He says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphrodites, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on, not on him only, but also me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you will be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. People like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life, underline that. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not 
give me. So commitment is putting the cause of Christ before comfort. You see, Epaphroditus, he was part of the church in Philippi. And they sent him to be with Paul because they heard Paul was in jail and Paul had had some needs. And so in an effort to help, they said, hey, we've taken up this offering and we want to send it to Paul, but we need somebody to take it to him. And and Epaphroditus says, I'll do it. I'll take it to him. Basically, Epaphroditus just simply said yes to the job that was in front of him. Now, 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 now think about that. Just in your office, just say yes to the job that's in front of you. That just, I mean, if you see something on the ground, a trash on the ground, pick it up. Say yes to the job that's in front of you. You see something in the classroom that needs to be done. Say yes to the job that's in front of you. Pick it up. Clean, you know, they're at the house. I mean, kids, instead of mom and dad saying, hey, you need to pick up your room, say yes to the job that's in front of you. You know, it, it's during that trip, he contracted some kind of infectious disease and he almost died. But he finished the work he set out to do. He was committed to the work of the gospel. And I think for us, putting the cause of Christ first means a lot of different things. I think first, it means that we're just intentional about building relationships. And some of us, we go to the same restaurants so we can talk to the same people or the same wait staff, the same hostess. We do, you're being intentional. That's awesome. We need to be intentional with, with people who don't, with our neighbors who don't go to church, who, who maybe not, don't know Jesus as their savior. Be intentional. Invite them over for dessert or a meal or, or a glass of wine and just get to know them. Be intentional with them. Maybe for some of us, we're going to be intentional with some of our coworkers and we're just going to commit to go out to lunch with them once a month or twice a month and get to know them. You know, what's their, what's their spouse's name? What are their kids' names? What are they going through? What, you know, how do they spend their weekend and be praying for them? Some of us, you know, we can be intentional by spending some time with our classmates outside of practice and outside of school. Just be intentional and build those relationships. I think for, for financially, for all of us, it, it means that we're going to live off less so that we can give more, and that's going to require sacrifice. You see, Paul says that Epaphroditus, he risked his life. What he really writes there, what's really translated, as he gambled with his life. Paul says Epaphroditus, by saying yes, he gambled with his life. Now, I don't think God is asking anyone to gamble with their life today. But I do think that some of us could gamble. And so we've been saving towards that and, um, you know, for a couple of years. And we still got a couple of years to go. We kind of talked about it over the, spring break, over the Christmas break. And, uh, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about where to go out for lunch after church. And my youngest son, nine, Asher, says, well, let's not go out to eat so we can save money and go to Europe quicker. And you think, oh, that's great. Well, yeah, but, but I wish he would have said, hey, let's save money, let's go home and eat lunch and save money so we can give more away. See, we don't talk about, Sarah and I, we don't talk about what we give sacrificially to the church. And we should be. We should be talking about it with our kids, that it requires a sacrifice instead of just talking about the other things that we sacrifice. Maybe for some of us, gambling is, you know, with our lives or risking is to spend some intentional time with people you don't ordinarily spend time with. Maybe for some of us, it's spending a little time on Sunday mornings to help the church create some environments that would be user-friendly for your friends and family who don't go to church. Guys, you know that we, we are 
averaging over 100 kids on Sunday mornings. That's not kids and volunteers. That's just kids, over 100. When we started this church, we, we had less than 11. So is that success? No, it's not success, but it helps us make decisions. We need more volunteers. It takes about 70 volunteers every week from the time we do check-in to providing safe environments where kids can hear the gospel. And so because we don't do use volunteers every week, every other week, that's 140 volunteers it takes just to do kids' ministry. And that's just kids' ministry. And so we need some more adults. We need some more teenagers to say yes to the job in front of us and say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll give. I'll sacrifice a morning every other week to work with kids. I'll sacrifice a morning every other week to, to help greet, to make this place the most friendly. So I, I was talking to a, a, a couple that visited a couple of weeks ago and, um, and, and they reaffirmed that at the newcomers last week. They said, oh, we decided way before the band ever started, way before you preached that we were coming back because we, were, we sat down and we were greeted three times before this service ever started. That's on y'all, so thank you for doing that. That's awesome. We need to say yes to the job in front of you. Say, well, how do I do that? Well, just take one of those cards. Say, hey, uh, man, I'd like to help. Call me and leave your number, okay? And maybe leave somebody else's number. I don't know. Uh, but I promise you, okay, any good, any good preacher, when, when somebody says they want to talk about the Lord or they want to give money or they want to volunteer, they're going to call you, okay? So, uh, man, we... we just say yes to the job that's in front of us. And for those of you that are saying yes, that are doing that, thank you so much. This place would not be what it is without you guys locking arms with one another. And so commitment is just, it's just really saying yes to the, God, to, the, to the job that's in front of us and putting the cause of Christ before our comfort. And as the band comes, and let me just say this and this last thing is that ultimate success, our ultimate success is found only in Jesus Christ. Because apart from Christ, we've all fallen short of the standard, okay? And we say this every week, <clears throat> that Jesus came and he lived the life we can't live and he died the death that every single one of us deserve to die. And when we put our faith in Jesus, not only do we get forgiveness of sin, that's a huge success. Not only do we go from being dead, being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, that, that, that's a success. Uh, not only do we become a, adopted children of God, that's a success, but we also have all the rights and privileges that go with dad's name, that's a success. And you know what? None of it had anything to do with us. We didn't accomplish that. We didn't perform our way into that. It was all Jesus. And Jesus does all the saving and he does all the changing in us. And so true success is based on our identity in Christ. Because if Jesus says that I'm, I'm loved, then, then who cares? I mean, yes, when, when we're rejected, it hurts, but nothing says that we're loved more than, than Jesus dying on the cross for us. Nothing says that we're more important or more significant than Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. 
Nothing says that we're more approved. Yes, we may not have made the ball team. We may have been left out Saturday night and not welcomed into that friend group. But nothing says we're more approved than Jesus dying on the cross for us. And that is success. Is our relationship with Jesus Christ.